I'm your host, Nick Ginsberg, and you're listening to The Open Drive, a podcast focusing on authentic living and defining your own path against the odds. Hey there, welcome back to the Open Drive podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We are on episode three of 2021, and I'm excited that we are back recording. So thank you for listening. I'm incredibly grateful that you're here and you're interested in my story and hearing all about my life journey. So what are we going to talk about in this episode? Uh, This episode is going to be a little heavier. Uh, We are going to talk through when my mum got quite unwell, which was about seven years ago. Um, She ended up with dementia and emphysema and you name it. So uh, I want to talk through that period and what I went through and how I managed to process that um, and the the support that was needed for it. Um, So I think it's an important thing to share because I know that a lot of families go through dementia uh, or their family members um, have dementia and going through that can be really tough. So I wanted to share this. Now, before we dive into the episode, you know the drill. If you are the, if you are listening to this for the first time, please head back to episode one. There is lots of gaps that I need you to, to, to listen to. There's lots of things that can be filled in over those past episodes. So head back to episode one for 2020 and listen in. Uh, the uh, other thing, if you are not following me on Instagram, please make sure you do. It's nice and easy, at Nick Ginsburg. If you follow me there, it'll be nice and easy. <laughs> it's a it's a great uh, a great place for me to share with you to update you on what's happening with the podcast. Also, when you follow me, please make sure that you reach out and uh, let me know that you're following me. So pop in, say hi, let me know what episode you've just listened to. All of that, I want to hear from you. Finally, just a reminder, this podcast does cover some heavy topics. So we do talk about childhood trauma. We talk about uh, addiction, mental health, um, serious illnesses, you name it, we cover it off. So if any of those uh, are a trigger to you, please just fair warning that that uh, will be covered at some point in these episodes uh, or in every episode, to be frank. Um, So just a heads up. Okay, so let's dive in. So in the last episode, I let you know about my move to Melbourne, meeting my husband, and uh, really the thing that changed my life, which was moving here. And before I talk to you about what happened with mum, there needs to be a bit of a lead up to it. So when I met Ricky, I knew straight away, as I said in the last episode, I knew that this was it. I could feel it, um, and whether he felt it or not was irrelevant because we were here. (laughs) I'm just joking. Of course, I'm just joking. Um, But yes, so we uh, were inseparable, moved in together six months later, and I met his family. We'd been dating for uh, maybe three months, two, three months. And I met his family on Jewish New Year, which is Rosh Hashanah. And it 
was hectic not gonna lie so the first member of his family that i met was a few days before that and that was his grandmother julie uh, who is now our next door neighbor <laughs> and i adore julie i would uh, kill anyone that tried to hurt her uh, she's an incredible 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 woman um but i met her first and it was as intimidating as what you can imagine it would be i sat in her house with ricky next to me on a couch opposite me was her and she was asking me questions. What do I do for a living? Where do I come from? You name it, she asked it. And I knew that it came from a good place, so it was fine. Um, and she's a hoot, she's very funny. So that was great. And then uh, after that, I think I met Ricky's parents, but fun story, Ricky's mum actually, uh, sent in two of her friends to spy on me at the bank before she met me. So I was working, I think it was a Thursday night shift and I was working away and in walked these two women and Ricky had given me the heads up that this may happen, that she may send people in to, to spy on me. Um, not in a nasty way. She's just, she likes having all of the information. And so, uh, I had a feeling this was going to happen. And these two South African women walk in, by the way, Ricky's South African and his whole family, of course, is South African. Uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, it's really quite fantastic. Um, so uh, these two South African women walk in, I knew straight away that they were Robin's friends and they were asking me questions about products and whatnot. And then at the end they said, oh, We've actually been sent in uh, where Ricky's mum's friends. I said, yes, I know. How do you know? Ricky gave me the heads up that something might happen. Uh, and it was very funny. They were lovely people. Um, they're, in, they're very, very, very lovely people. So uh, that was fun. But Ricky surprised Robin uh, with meeting me. So one day, we were, I think he just had to pick something up from home. And he said, come in and meet my family. And this was just before Julie. Actually, no, just after Julie, I think. Actually, I don't remember what I... It makes sense that I met Robin first, but maybe I did meet Julie first. But anyways, whatever order it was, they were very close together. And Robin was in bed. <laughs> so I walked in and she was in bed and she looked livid at Ricky for doing that to her. She was in her pajamas, hair everywhere, in bed. She was probably watching Home and Away, which is her favorite TV show on the face of the planet. And uh, it was funny. Uh, I really enjoyed that kind of meeting. And I met his dad, of course, then. Uh, and then I met his sisters. And then on the night of Rosh Hashanah, I was upstairs getting ready with Ricky. And there were going to be, I think, 30 or 40 people in the house. It was everyone in the family except for one uh, one of his, his, sorry, so his uncle and his aunt and two cousins weren't there, but everyone else was there and I met them all. And Ricky's auntie took me under her wings and showed me uh, what all the food was and what I would like and what I wouldn't like and explaining to me what was happening. And uh, it was incredible. Uh, I've never felt so at home with a group of people. They made me feel welcome instantly. Um, really just a, a fantastic family. And I really don't say this because I know some of them are listening. Hello. Um, it's, I say it because it's so true. And people in the community say that about the family as well. It is not 
just for me. Um, they're an incredible group of people who just made me feel welcomed immediately. And this is important because what I'm about to talk about with mum, I don't think I could have got through that without them. Um, not as well as I did. So Ricky and I had been dating for a couple of years. We'd moved out by this point and my memory of this uh, whole event series is super hazy. I was talking to my auntie about it recently when I was up in Queensland because her and I, it was re quite traumatic. And so her and I both, I think, blocked out a chunk of time. But I'm going to go through what I remember because I think it's important for anyone else that's going through something similar for them to understand that we, that I've been through it and this is how I managed to get through. So I got a phone call from my auntie that a neighbor had found my mum and that she was in ICU. I didn't have a lot of information. Uh, I understood that or I had heard that she'd fallen down the stairs and that's where they found her. But then information was, was up and down. So uh, in actual fact, I think she was found in the bathroom, unable to move. Um, but doctors put her in an induced coma in ICU immediately. Both of my aunties obviously went there um, and spent time with her. And I waited until it was the right time for me to go up, which was about a week and a half later when she was out of the, out of the, out of intensive care. She was in a ward being looked after. I got up there and I found out that, uh, she had had a series of mini strokes and that her, uh, cognitive ability was, um, not there or no, 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 it had, it had decreased. Um, and they said that it might come back, it may not. Um, but at that point I went home with her. So I stayed with her for a week and my mum is one of the cleanest people you will ever come across. So she, her house spotless as, unless she was in a very dark area, even when she was drinking spotless, it would be, uh, she was very proud of her home. She, she vacuumed all the time and I got home and the place was filthy. Um, I spent hours and hours and hours cleaning and crying, um, just sobbing. And I was sobbing because I knew that the mum that I had for that, those, probably four or five years where she was optimal mum, <laughs> like the best mum that I'd ever had was gone. And I didn't know if she was coming back. And seeing the house like that really proved to it. Uh, the dog was full of fleas. There was pet hair just covering the floor. It hadn't been vacuumed in a long, long, long time. There was just dirt and filth everywhere. So I scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed. And the whole time I'm talking to Ricky every night in tears. He was at that point at uni doing really intense um, assignments. And that's why he hadn't gone with me because he had to do uni. And I was like, well, don't be silly. I'll just go up and you can come up at a later point. And I called him one night and begged 
for him to come up early, which is silly. I didn't need to beg. He, of course, came up early. And we changed his flight, and I think he flew the next night. And I remember standing at Coolangatta Airport, watching the doors open, seeing him, and I think I just cried. Just was so just needed him there to support me, to look after me, to help me with mum. And while we were up there, we got mum a power of attorney sorted so that we could look after her. She wasn't right. She was asking repetitive questions. We found out that she had an accidental overdose of one of the medications that she was on, um, which caused her to become severely dehydrated which caused a series of little strokes, which has uh, affected her cognitive ability. We didn't know, we'd assumed that there was dementia in there, but we didn't know. And then I flew back, we flew back and we ended up going, I think, I think Louise ended up moving back in at some point to help mum, which was incredible. Louise was also much more stable by that point. I mean, she was still drinking heavily, but her mental health was much better. And so she was looking after mum. We got care organized and then she ended up in the older person's mental health unit at Rabina, which is, there's a hospital at Rabina there on the Gold Coast. And she was in there for, it felt like a long time. I actually don't know how long it was, but they did so many tests on her, trying to look after her. And we met with the doctors, this team of doctors, and they were so lovely, but it was, I think my aunt, myself, Ricky, and my uncle, I think. And they basically told us she has dementia, Uh, It was mild at that point, um, which was very lucky, but it was frontal lobe dementia. And essentially, it will affect her ability to communicate. It will affect her personality. It'll affect her emotions. Um, Everything that makes her her uh, at the front of the brain is what will be affected. Which was very hard to hear. Um, And I was really hoping that that wouldn't be the case because I knew then that the mum I had was not coming back. Um, that, yeah, that was, that was, that was really hard. And so at that point, I know that I definitely started grieving the loss of my mum. And if anyone has gone through this with a family member with dementia, they understand that it is such a weird thing to be doing because you're grieving the loss of someone who is still physically there. So mum was still there. There were still glimmers of the old mum, but overall the mum that I knew had gone and she went back home. We had carers. Louise was with her. And unfortunately it just, it, I think it lasted under six months and she had dropped weight a lot because she just wasn't eating um she got down to 36 kilos 38 kilos something like that and all this time i was frantically trying to get her into a nursing home into an aged care facility 
and we managed to get her into one just around the corner from my aunt's up in Mullaney. And it, I mean, it's one of these moments where everything just lined up and you just can't, I'm not a religious person, but you, you do go, well, it was meant to be, that was meant to, that she was meant to get into there because I mean, what are the chances? What are the chances? So, yeah, um, mum had said to me, and this was something that I was also trying to to deal with this whole time, was mum saying to me when I was a kid, don't ever put me in a nursing home. If you do, I will hate you, was what she would say to me over and over and over and over again. But I knew that if she stayed at home, she would die. There was no option. So we got her in. We didn't tell mum because we knew that it would up, sort of get her more riled up than needed. So what we did, I flew up in the morning. I was on, I think it was a 7am flight. I got in a hire car, drove an hour and a half up to my auntie's place. Mum was there. She was incredibly thin. And we took her uh, to check in at, at her new home. Um, she was not happy uh, at all. And it was incredibly emotional. Louise was there. Um, and one thing that I remember vividly from that period and that day, so I picked up Louise, we drove up, put mum in the home, then Louise and I drove back to her place. And Louise kept saying to me on this drive, Nick, you don't understand how this feels because mum and I have a different relationship. We have been together for 40 years. You can't possibly imagine how this feels. Now, I understand everyone has different relationships with everyone, but that was my mum. And that's a glimpse into Louise's mental uh, health issues. She is unable to see what other people go through. Um, and so she just kept saying it and it just got me so upset. And I ended up stopping the car and I said to her, if you mention it one more time, you can get out and walk. I'm not driving you. And then she just didn't say it again and then took her home and I think I cried pretty much the whole way driving to the airport and I got home and Ricky's family fully embraced me. And I don't think any of them actually understand just how much it, it helped. I had Ricky obviously, who is so kind and loving and is so supportive, but then to have his whole family check in on me how are you going? How is how is your mum going? Is she settled in the home? Just asking those questions just made the all the difference in the world. To know that I had 30 odd people who had my back and were thinking about me was incredible. And it, it made me feel like I could handle it. And I, of course I did. Um, 
but to have supportive people in your life, be it family or friends or whoever, it's important that you find them and you hang on tight because when life gets really shit, they're the people that make you feel safe, that make you feel okay. And that's exactly what they did for me. And of course, my, my, my family in Queensland did the same thing. But I'd only known Ricky's family for a couple of years at this point. And they, they treated me like I'd been in their family since birth. Checking in on me, sending their love to my family. Like, just incredible. Really incredible. So I wanted to share this story. I wanted to talk about the grief that I felt trying to process that. Even now, when I went up to Queensland this time, mum's dementia has gotten worse. Um, she doesn't she doesn't respond logically to emotional situations. The filter is definitely gone. She doesn't necessarily make eye contact that much and she didn't want to get up out of bed to hug me. And I'm still, that's still that. You, you grieve the loss of that loved one every time you see them slip a little bit away. And so if you are dealing with anyone with dementia, I just, I, I want to say, I hear, I'm, I'm here. I hear you. I get it. I know how much it sucks. It's important that we talk about it. It's so important that we keep talking about these things. It's the reason why I do the podcast. The more we talk about these situations in life and these heavy situations in life, the more we can process it, the more that we can help others, the more that we can get it off our chest. So please make sure you talk to the people you trust. You speak up. It is important for your mental health. And it's important because it helps remove the stigma. It will help those people who are listening to you do the same thing in return. So I'm going to leave you on that. That was a heavy one, but I feel good with sharing it. Just want to wrap it up on one thing. Feeling grief throughout this moment with dementia is so normal. It's hard to process, but you have to remind yourself that dementia really takes away bits of the person that you love. And the other thing Make sure you find your people, be it family, be it friends, who make you feel safe, loved, and, and make you feel yeah, safe and loved. And make sure that you hold them tight and hang on for dear life because they're the people that will help you get through everything. So that's it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for making it to the end if you're still listening. Uh, if you haven't followed me on Instagram, make sure you do at Nick Ginsburg. Pop me a, a hello when you do so. Be safe, whatever you're doing. And I will talk to you in the next episode. See you later.